Hello and welcome. It's Friday, November the 6th. Today, I'm joined by the original co-host, Brent. Brent's back from Harvest. Brent, welcome back. It's good to be back. You survived Harvest. and Barely, but I made it. But you were saying earlier, you had a good Harvest. It finished up a little quicker than normal. You're not going to miss Thanksgiving this year. This is pretty early for us. Yeah, it was a fast, fast Harvest. We only had like a couple days the whole time where we stopped, so... It's indicative of the drought that is occurring out here. If you're going to have a drought, I guess it's better to have it during harvest than other times of the year. So hopefully it clears up for you. But we have a lot of stuff to talk about. And we actually spent quite a bit of time ahead of recording, hitting the record button to clean up what we thought was the most important. So I'm going to start with the new AFN questions. We're shifting gears here. We're starting to think 2021. And we have a slug of new questions. And there's going to be even more coming but start calibrating our thinking for down the road. So the first one is the probability of direct payments in 2021 getting over $18 billion. And as a reference point, $37 billion is the current number. It's probably going to go over $40 billion. So we have some background information to help frame that decision up. And Brent, the first thing that comes to my mind is ad hoc payments, right? Most of these, this uptick is ad hoc. And so we have no ad hoc programs on the books. So we would have to get new programs to get anything above and beyond a farm bill base level. So my probability on that's pretty low. I don't remember off the top of my head, but what are your thoughts there? It's kind of interesting to have to set the, set the number with last year, you know, approaching 40. And this year we're starting out at guessing the the number at, at half of that less than half of that. And arguably, it just doesn't look like unless, you know, ad hoc payments are going to have to drive it. It's hard to know whether we'll we'll have those or not. I mean, going into 2020, I don't think any of us envisioned we'd have ad hoc payments of the magnitude that they were this year, but we didn't have the COVID and all that other stuff. So it's, to me, it's, it's a, it's an interesting question, but it looks like all bets would be to be much lower than last year, much lower. I think if you want to start at the back of the envelope calculation, it's very possible that direct payments in 2021 come in nine or $10 billion. Now there's some reasons why you could work its way up, but that's sort of the low end of the estimates. It's a possibility. There's some things that could carry over in the calendar year. There could be a pretty big uptick in ARC and PLC payments are triggered by some yields for parts of the country that had some really crummy yields. Maybe think about that Iowa storm, but also maybe there's a commodity price environment. It's not as favorable for saying those market year average prices. There's a lot of unknowns. And the fun thing about this question is it's an always learning. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but you're always learning. And it's going to help us think about how do we make plans and expectations about direct payments when we have a lot of uncertainty and how do we navigate that uncertainty over the upcoming year? Those uh, direct payments, you know, ARC and PLC, you start thinking about it and you have to realize that that pricing component of that plays out over the whole marketing year, but we're probably going to start the marketing year with some pretty good prices. They'd have to fall a lot. So you've got higher prices right now that are going to hit that marketing year average plus big marketing weights. You have to start thinking that those may not pay out as much as, as maybe they we would have thought in the past. Of course, then we also have to sign up for the 2021, or no, yeah, in 2021, we'll have to sign up for, yeah, 2021 payment, Production. which we received in 2022. 
Dave and I were talking ahead of this, and the answer is less obvious this time than I think it's ever been since we've had to make these decisions. And I'll frame that up, right? Back in 2014, we knew that commodity prices were trending lower, but they hadn't hit that PLC strike price. So that made ARC look very appealing. And now in the last signup, those prices were hovering pretty much right at or below those PLC strike prices, which made PLC look appealing. But now we're in this new sort of quadrant where we have commodity prices that are above those PLC strike prices, uh, and they're not really trending in a way that's going to generate big payments. So it's sort of a, a new, new paradigm is sort of how to think about yeah. that. Plus the ARC revenue guarantees are not high enough to, this one is going to be a harder, I think, decision actually than than most of them have been. Four other questions on the Forecast Network. Last year, you know, this is kind of our theme here. We have two questions on corn, two questions on soybeans for the 2021 marketing year. The idea of what might happen in the markets between today and August 1st, thinking about the new crop 2021. So for corn, what's the probability of getting over 425 for that December 21 contract in the spring and the summer? And what's the probability of falling below 350? And those are kind of big numbers. We're hovering around three ninety five, four dollars. So, like, will we are we going to get a rally to push us above four twenty five, or will we see burdensome news coming to the other side? It's been interesting because we've hit four twenty five and three fifty were numbers we were thinking about last year at this time. And if you think about where we've been over the last twelve months, I don't know, Brent. What's the December contract at right now on the twenty crop? Uh, Probably about four, close to 408 or something uh, yesterday. I think closed like 409 or something. So let's think about where corn's been. It was at a low of around 320. Now it's at 408. And so this 425 is back in play, but 350 was sort of a high number. It's My point here is the markets have been everywhere. We're starting with a new, yeah. a new sheet here, 2021. Get your expectations in. And I think the range of outcomes is pretty wide. It's interesting, like currently, right now as we're speaking, it's 410 on the 2020 contract. And when I saw that number that you put in there, 425, I thought, well, we're really close. It's 396 right now on December 2021. It seems like the, the attitude right now is, I think, one of people are feeling good about corn prices right now, as opposed to just a few months ago. It's really crazy how that whole thing has swung, but it's going to be really interesting to see how that evolves going forward. And, you know, you look at a number like 350, I think initially you kind of go, oh, that's a long ways away from where, but this is kind of exactly the setup we had last year too. And we cleared both of them, didn't we? We didn't get over 425. We didn't get over 425, did we? Yeah. But we're no, but well, it's, we, we it's in play. Data. It's in play, right. right? It's a very realistic for context on these questions. The commodity price situation for the new crop is very similar today as it was a year ago. Now, we'll write a post about this to line up all those numbers, but corn for the 2020 contract last year was spending a lot of time around $4 at the end of harvest last year which is pretty much spot on where we are today. I think that's a really interesting observation. I think there's a lot of optimism about where the future in 2021 might be, but the commodity markets, soybeans are a little ahead, right? But they're pretty much sitting right where they are before. Something we wouldn't have thought to at all be the case just six months ago. So anyway, new questions, get your yeah. expectations calibrated. I'm going to shift gears here and talk a little bit about the election. I want to make two observations and then Brent, you can jump in. I think one of the most 
consequential outcomes that's known today uh, with confidence is leadership of the ag committees is up in the air. So Pat Roberts on the Senate side, he's from Kansas, a little side note there. He was the chair of the Senate ag committee. He retired. And then Colin Peterson from Minnesota lost his seat on the House side. He was the chair of the House Ag Committee. And I think that's a very important data point and observation to file in the back of your minds. This leadership, they've been a big part of ag policy over the last several years. And we're going to see new names, new faces in the chair. Probably not a complete tide shift, right? They're going to put strangers in here. New. <laughs> this is not going to be like a complete shuffle of the deck, but we're going to be leading with some different ideas and some different priorities or preferences as to how we might solve problems. I doubt AOC is going to be the chairman of the farm uh, ag committee. Yes. I, yes. <laughs> that is the, the point here is not to tell you that the end, the end is coming, but it's going to be a different flavor. It's going to be a different right. tempo. Then yeah, Brent, I'll let you cover the rest of the election. <laughs> I'll let you sort through the rest of the election issues. <laughs> It, it is interesting. I think the leadership on those committees change. I mean, you lose a lot of institutional memory there. That's always important. And so it will be interesting to see how it shakes out. David and I had an email a while ago saying it's, it's going to be interesting to see where the new administration gets its ag advice. I mean, it's, it's known, I think, as you said, that the leadership of those committees going to change. The Democrats will retain control of the House. That's absolutely not in question. The Senate probably will be a Republican, but there's probably some uncertainty left around that as well. And it, it looks highly likely that Biden will win the win the presidency at this point. So it's going to be a time for some change. But, you know, I think we wrote a memo or David drafted, you know, the I thought an outstanding memo ahead of the election that we sent out. And if you haven't read that, I think it's still relevant to to read it and keep in mind you know what what really has changed or what really will change with the takeover and in some ways i think having i don't want to say gridlock but that that's the only word i can think of right now but having you know at least one of the chambers be in a different party i think is probably a good thing regardless of who was which one of those it is it's it's not necessarily a bad thing and i think that memo rings true you know think about what's actually going to get done what are people going to want to get done it's it's not a it's more like a super tanker you're not going to just flip the direction of things immediately so i think probably on the commodity markets and everything just probably not going to change my outlook for those price questions that you have and I'll take it one step further. It doesn't change my outlook for what happens with direct payments in 2021. The thing about ad hoc payments is they go to zero every calendar year, right? And we don't have enough information to know that one candidate or one party in the White House or the other is going to be more or less likely to use the CCC to pay, make payments. Or what might change is the type of payments that they're going to make. But I'm not sure that the actual use of, of those is going to be necessary. I mean, you know, one of the one of the big questions that I think we got to keep our eye focused on is what happens with the trade war. That trade war is that an interesting thing. China's coming back, making big purchases, and that's a positive development. But there's still tariffs in place on the U.S. side. My understanding is that China still has tariffs on U.S. soybeans. They're just exempting them for the time being, right? Like they're still on the books. So we've kicked the hornet's nest over, right? And we have to keep in mind we haven't reached a new equilibrium for that. But I'll add one last note on the Senate. 
Sarah Hubbard wrote a really great thing to watch background list several weeks ago in the AFN question about the Senate linked to it. So go check that out. And she raised this and I didn't realize it. In Georgia, you have to win a majority of the vote in the Senate to advance. So there was one Senate race that had several candidates. It was a a special election and all bets were that it was going to have to go to a runoff. But last I saw, and this is subject to change, the second Senate seat in Georgia was actually going to have to go to a runoff as well. And so as we get into January 2021, there could still be some questions about the majority power of control of the Senate. And it's all going to go down to Georgia and those two runoffs. So keep an eye on that. That's sort of a a fun little nuance. I guess 2020 is full of nuances, right? And Sarah pointed that out a long time ago, and it played out even in in a bigger way than initially thought. There won't be any campaign contributions going to Georgia is what you're saying. <laughs> Holy cow, can you imagine? We have a lot of advertisements here shortly. It is just really, it's an interesting election. And, and the other thing I would say is the AFN forecast, if you look at the presidential forecast on AFN, I think you are better prepared the consensus forecast, you're definitely better prepared for what happened than a lot of the polls that you saw, where they were projecting 85% chance of certain outcome. Our, our, the AFM forecast was about 50% uh, for Trump. Uh, I mean, 50-50. And that's pretty much what it turned out to be. It's a very, very close outcome. You know, it's, it's kind of unbelievable. You can have that many votes in a state, you know, six, seven, eight million votes in a state and have it come down to a few thousand being the difference is really uh, not just in one state, in multiple states. It was a very, very close in that respect. And I think the Forecast Network forecast was a lot better indication of where things were at. Some of those models are actually 90 plus percent favoring a certain outcome. And it looks like, based on the information, they're going to say, oh, we were right. And, and, but keep in mind, those polling models, the betting markets, and the AFN, they're all asking similar questions, but it's all different. And I think we have to be careful consumers of all those tranches of information. And we wrote an article trying to encourage that. But I think the Ag Forecast Network really helped you see the uncertainty that people were thinking about. And so when people were sharing their forecast, they were putting a pretty heavy uncertainty on the outcome. Whereas those polling models were measuring and reporting something a little bit different. That was yeah. sort of kind of interesting to see how that played out. Well, it's it's an interesting point that you know you need to be a good consumer of all of this information and really understand it. And you wrote something about the betting markets, which is another one. It was really interesting. You know, at Tuesday night, the odds really started to swing, but especially the betting lines where casino is setting the odds are not necessarily designed to predict the winner as much as to try and move the the bet flow one way or the other. And bet flow is probably not homogenous across parties so i mean there's just lots of interesting things you have to think about and be good consumers of but i thought the forecast network forecast of about a 50 percent chance about a coin flip it's about right so i I thought that was really interesting last topic here today and we could talk all morning uh, and and brent and i probably will but for for the sake of our listeners we'll wrap this up around the 20 minutes brent do you want to tease the escaping 1980 project 
What's really interesting, we decided to do a podcast, and it's not a traditional podcast in the sense that of what you see, I think, in agriculture most of the time, which is interview some friends or other people and have a conversation. It's really around a topic, and uh, it's the 1980s farm crisis and trying to understand what the causes were, but more importantly, what the implications were for agriculture since then, as well as putting in the context of what's happening today. David and I recorded it with Sarah, and it was a lot of fun, and uh, she's done a good job of putting it all together, and we're excited to uh, release it to everybody. So this is a regular podcast, seven episodes, going to drop one per week here over the fall, and I think it's really important. The idea of the 1980s is something in all of our minds. Either we live through it or we live in the shadow of it, and we get asked the question, is today like the 1980s? Are we going through another 1980s-like situation? That's a hard question to answer. And we try to tackle that, especially with the lens of where we are today. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I don't know I don't know how Sarah managed to capture Brent and I's <laughs> ideas in a way that was really comprehensible uh, and, and fun in this engaging new platform. But AEI Premium, the listeners here, of course, help make this possible. And we're going to share access with you. First thing next week, we're going to send you an email as soon as it's ready. Feel free to you know, share this with other people. We see you as thought leaders in your organization. So we wanted you to have the access to share this with others. And this is open to everyone. We'll have some show notes or some graphs that we'll share only with you all when that becomes relevant. But stay tuned. A lot of episodes. And thank you for helping make this possible. I think you'll hear some... I mean, I learned doing it as well as just listening to David. And I think it's a it's a really interesting project. And I think you'll find it, those of you who are interested in agriculture, and we'll really find it interesting. So we're looking forward to getting that out there. All right. Thanks so much for stopping by, Brent. Good to see you again. And uh, we'll stay in touch. And uh, in the meantime, stay curious.